ask you this. Let, let, let me ask you this. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Sports Central, Chicago sports conversation with Adam Hogue. Go, go, go. This is Sports Central. On demand and streaming live on WGNRadio.com. Welcome into the program. This is Sports Central, Tuesday, March 6, 2018. You can find us on iTunes, the Google Play Store, if you don't listen live. We hope you do, though. And if you are, you can have a chance to interact with the show today as we discuss Bears Mock Draft 2.0. It is the first Tuesday of March, and that means a new Bears Mock Draft. In which I tell you, a month and a half before the draft, exactly who the Bears are drafting. They're going to pick all seven of these guys in the exact spots that I have them, and no one can tell me I'm wrong. Right, Joe? Yeah, I'd say that's right. That's yeah. how this works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's how, as many times as I say the opposite, people just choose to read these. That's how it is every time. That's okay. It's not really how this works. But the phone number is 312-235-2525. Got a flood of questions on Twitter, of course, once the mock draft comes out. But this is the opportunity for you to call into the show uh, and ask your questions right here on Sports Central. But let's jump in with our lead. Well, the Hawks have the Badgers at third and 13. Three wideouts, one tailback. Again, in the gun is Hornibrook. Back to pass. Protection's good. Pass is intercepted at the 40. 35-30. Josh Jackson, nobody home. Touchdown, Iowa. Touchdown, Iowa. Josh Jackson, a 43-yard pick six. Michael Moody and A.J. Epinesa in as well. Hornibrook looks down the field, and a pass is picked off. And going the other way for a touchdown is Josh Jackson. Are you kidding me? Josh Jackson, the defensive back from Iowa, the cornerback, kind of a one-year wonder. But one of my favorite players in this draft, he, those highlights you heard right there, this is one of my favorite things about Josh Jackson. In a game that I thought Iowa was going to win, Iowa at Wisconsin this year, I thought it was a bad matchup for Wisconsin, I wasn't trusting Alex Hornibrook against that secondary. And Josh Jackson delivered two pick sixes. He scored all 14 of Iowa's points. Well, technically 12. The kicker had the two extra points. But he was responsible for the two touchdowns in that game for Iowa, which was otherwise a a Wisconsin route. And real quickly here... um, just to sidetrack, uh, source telling me right now here on Sports Central that officially there will be no tag for Kyle Fuller. So we will talk a lot more about free agency and uh, the franchise tag situation as this stuff is pouring in while we are doing the show live today. But it, that, that's been reported. Brad Biggs has been saying that now for a, a few days uh, that there will be no tag for Kyle Fuller. And um, I can confirm that right now here on Sports Central. Getting back to Bears Mock Draft 2.0. The let's set this all up. And first of all, to be clear, I'm not predicting these picks. This is what I would do. I say this every time. And we're living in sort of this hypothetical world, which by the way is where we live most of the time 
in football where very few things are for sure, but especially leading up to the draft. But these are, I say this every time, this is just a fun exercise to get you guys to know some of these prospects, especially, like everyone pretty much knows, if you're listening to the show right now, you've probably heard of Josh Jackson. But you might not have heard of Justin Watson from Penn or the greatest name in the history of the NFL draft, Hercules Mata Afa. Got to be careful with that one. You can just draft him because of the high jersey sale potential. (laughs) But here's why I love Jackson, all right? And we're operating under, I've already said this multiple times on this show. I love Saquon Barkley. I love Minka Fitzpatrick. I love Bradley Chubb. I love Quentin Nelson. Nelson's who I had in Marriage Box Draft 1.0, so I don't repeat these. Because, again, the whole point is not to predict the picks. It's to get you guys to learn about these guys. So I'm not going to do four mock drafts with Quentin Nelson going number eight overall. That would be stupid. So under this scenario, I'm painting the picture that all four of those guys that I love are off the board. I think, and I've said this before, that could put Ryan Pace in a position where he's fielding calls on draft night from quarterback needy teams looking to move up. But I don't project trades in these mock drafts either. So this is, those guys are off the board. Pace is making the pick at number eight. They need a corner. If Bradley Chubb's off the board, I realize right now they need pass rushing help and a lot of it. But I don't see somebody that's worth the number eight overall pick besides Bradley Chubb. But they need corner. And even if the Bears end up retaining Kyle Fuller, even though they're not tagging him, they they still need another playmaking corner on the other side, even if they still have Kyle Fuller, and ideally one with a little bit more height and length. So the question here is then, Josh Jackson or Denzel Ward, the very athletic, talented corner out of Ohio State that blew up the combine this week? I go with Jackson. He's not as fast. He's not as twitchy. But if you watch the tape from this season, Jackson is a ball hawk. He came to Iowa as a wide receiver. And most guys have to switch to defense when they're a wide receiver who can't catch the ball, who drop a lot of passes. That's not necessarily the case with this kid. Eight interceptions, 26 pass breakups. His ball skills are phenomenal. Now, his 40 time in Indianapolis was a little confusing because he ran a 4-4-9. And I wanted to see him under 4-5, so I was really happy to see that. But his second 40 was like a 4-6. And ultimately, they they adjusted his official time to 4 5 six. So he's going to have to run again at Iowa's Pro Day, and we'll get a little bit more clarity. But frankly, it's not like it's an alarming number. And we knew he wasn't going to run like Denzel Ward. To me, this is about the tape. He can play zone. While he played more zone than man at Iowa, I think he can play man. I think he, he fits Vic Fangio's scheme just fine. And I see some Charles Tillman in his game. That's exactly what the Bears need on defense right now. All right, moving to the second round. I put DJ Moore from Maryland in this mock draft, my my first one, 1.0. So you take him out of the equation. Still love DJ Moore. 
The problem here is if you were looking, and I'd ideally like the Bears to to get a a bigger wide receiver, not necessarily a slot guy, especially if they end up signing Albert Wilson here anyway from Kansas City, which seems like he's already on the team. But if you're going to get a guy with a lot of speed and great route running skills who also happens to be big, those guys go in the first round. I could get them early in the second. So Christian Kirk, Texas A&M, little bit smaller. He's 5'10", 201. High character guy, runs great routes. He's tough. And I've been told multiple times that this guy is not getting enough credit. So if he's available there early in the second, I think that's a good pick. Now the Bears don't have a third round pick, which everyone's going to be really upset about again on the Friday night of the draft. Something tells me Ryan Pace might end up with one. But you got to make a trade to make that happen. But of course, because of the Mitch Trubisky trade last year, they do not have a third round pick. So we move on to the fourth, where the Bears do have two fourth-rounders. They have the fifth pick in the fourth round and the 15th pick in the fourth round. Third straight year, Ryan Pace has had multiple picks in the fourth round. There is a uh, a kid out of Penn that, quite frankly, I have no idea where he's going to land right now. Because he's got the size, he's almost 6'3", 213, And if you watch his tape, he catches everything. He's always open, and he catches everything. Now, he played in the Ivy League. So there's a big step up in competition. But I love guys, and I say this every year. I love guys who show up in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. And... Even though they played at a smaller school against less competition, maybe all of a sudden they're lining up against a defensive back from Alabama or Ohio State, and they don't flinch. Those guys that within three days of jumping up a huge competition against the top seniors in the entire country that still look like they belong, a guy like Carson Wentz, who went from North Dakota State, FCS level, and then just dominated against the top seniors in the country, those those guys stick out to me as players that can adjust just fine to the NFL level. That's what this kid Justin Watson did at the Senior Bowl. Now, amazingly, he wasn't invited to the NFL Combine. So we don't know how fast he can run. He runs fast enough on tape, but again, that's the Ivy League. I thought he ran fast enough at the Senior Bowl. There's probably going to be some issues here getting large separation. But he's got that size to fight off defenders. And like I said, he catches everything. He makes great adjustments to the ball in the air. Kind of like Alshon Jeffrey. You could throw it up to him and it'll make a play. So Penn's going to have a pro day March 19th. We'll learn more about where he runs. I don't necessarily care how fast he runs in terms of drafting him. But it's going to decide. It's going to play a huge role in where he lands. I've seen. Uh, I think Matt Miller had a new mock draft, seven round mock draft come out today. Doesn't even have Justin Watson getting drafted. 
I think Greg Gabriel gave him a third-round grade. But we don't know his 40 time, and that's going to have a big impact on where he ultimately falls. So I got him in the fourth round right now. I think that's fair and where I'd be willing to take him. Ten picks later in the fourth round, this kid Hercules Mata'afa, Washington State. He played defensive tackle there at 6'1", 254 pounds. That's an NFL linebacker, folks. He cannot play defensive tackle in the NFL at that size. So the big question here is, where does he fit? Is he 3-4? Is he a 4-3? Can he rush the passer? 21.5 tackles for loss, 19.5 sacks in 2017. It's a guy who can get upfield and get to the quarterback on the defensive line. So I think there's a chance here that that he could be a decent edge rusher. And at some point, the Bears are going to have to draft one of these guys. You're waiting this long, you're not going to find the perfect player. So the thinking here is either he's going to make a, you know, not a traditional switch to 3-4 outside linebacker, and it works, because you're taking a chance here, and you don't know if it's going to work. But this kid's got enough to his game that even if it doesn't work, I think the worst-case scenario, the floor here, is a valuable fringe starter slash special teamer. Kind of like Sam Acho, who's been an underrated player for the Bears the last few years. Or he might even be able to play inside linebacker in Vic Fangio's scheme. So this this qualifies as a guy. I like the tape enough. You just draft him. You figure out where to put him later. All right, fifth round. I uh, sent out a couple texts yesterday about Justin Jackson, who you may guess that I like. I've spent three years watching him from the sidelines at Northwestern, and he checks every box. Except... Probably ideal size. He's a little bit undersized, but he's still six foot, two hundred pounds. But I want the what I wanted to know was how his great combine impacted where he'll be drafted because I, I just I I'm I'm like baffled. I can't figure out what I'm missing here. Outstanding character, outstanding teammate who commands respect from every teammate he's ever had. My only quibbles with him are, I thought sometimes he danced around in the backfield a little bit too much instead of just taking what was given to him. A lot of times that resulted in missed tackles, picking up three or four yards when there really wasn't much there. But I thought if he hit the holes more often, there would be more success. But that's really nitpicking, especially when he wasn't playing behind a good offensive line. Put up four straight 1,000-yard seasons despite never having a dominant offensive line in front of him. So the tape's good, the measurables at the combine were good, and the character's outstanding. 
And the responses I got to the, this question about where he's going to fall was, because mostly I've seen 6th, 7th round for Justin. It was the combine numbers, the four, uh, four, five, two that he ran. It's going to bump him up a little bit. So I put him in the fifth round here. For the record, I'd be willing to draft him earlier than that. But that's kind of where I'm guessing he'll go. Do the Bears need a running back? Not necessarily. But Ryan Pace has drafted one each and every year so far. And I do have questions about how Jordan Howard exactly fits in Matt Nagy's scheme. Tariq Cohen helps that because he can be used in multiple ways around Jordan Howard. But is Tariq Cohen an every down back if Jordan Howard were to get hurt? So I don't necessarily draft Justin Jackson think he's going to replace Jordan Howard. But as the idea that I think he fits Nagy's scheme a little bit better and would be a a really good backup if Howard went down. And quickly, the last two picks, Brandon Parker, North Carolina A&T. If that school sounds familiar, it's because that's where Tariq Cohen played. I wonder if uh, you know the Bears spent all that time watching Tariq Cohen tape, if they happen to notice the giant 6'7", 314-pound left tackle. A pipeline being created. Right. Great size, great length. Needs to get a little bit bigger. Needs to definitely work on his fundamentals and his technique. I love the idea of Harry Heastan working with this kid, though, for a year in kind of a redshirt situation like the Bears did last year with Jordan Morgan, who don't forget about Jordan Morgan, by the way. You basically redshirted. And I have no idea where he fits. I haven't really seen him. But that was the plan. So there's no reason to think right now that he's a bust or anything. Plus, he's a fifth-round pick, so you're not really a bust if you're a fifth-rounder. Finally, seventh round, a tight end that's, uh, he didn't really help himself at the combine, didn't put up big numbers. Durham Smythe, North Dakota, uh, North Dakota, Notre Dame. Uh, another connection here to Harry Heastan, who, uh, will know a little bit more about the injuries this kid faced and why he never really became more, um, than what he was in college. But a wide type tight end who can block, really good blocker, uh, potential, Replacement for Dion Sims here is the idea, and it's a seventh-round pick. So if you can get something like that out of there, I think that's good value. So that's a good look at uh, Bears Mock Draft 2.0. A little bit more explanation behind the thinking there. Did you mention what uh, Kirk ran at the uh, Combine? Who who ran? Uh, Christian Kirk. Oh, I did. Did he run at the Combine or no? No, he did. I didn't, uh, I didn't mention his 40 time. I don't have it in front of me. Yeah, because I it was good enough though. I don't think it was like an. Ex- I, I I watched it. I it wasn't like a a huge number, but it was good enough. Yeah, because I saw Todd McShay tweet something about you know that that was something he was looking forward to at the combine, and he he looks like a pretty fast dude. Yeah, and it just like you said, slot is not really what they need, but that guy looks like a player. Yeah, he he um he's the kind of guy you get the ball in his hands and then just let him go to work, kind of deal. All right, we'll take a quick break. Plenty of football coming up. Kevin Powell's going to sit in for the rest of the show. Kevin Fishbane from The Athletic will join us in about 10 minutes. We'll talk about the news and some of these wide receivers that have uh, 
officially become available by not being franchise tagged today. We'll be right back on Sports Central. What? Um. Yes! What? Um. Now! What? Let me think. Let me think. Ooh. Yeah! Good talk, Coach. Thanks. Maybe we should stick the radio. He's got a point. <laughs> Chicago Sports Conversation. This is Sports Central with Adam Hogue. All right, plenty of football to talk about today. No franchise tag for Kyle Fuller. No franchise tag for wide receiver Allen Robinson. No franchise tag for wide receiver Sammy Watkins. What's up, Kevin Paul? What's up, man? I enjoyed your mock draft 2.0, and I agree with you on the Justin Jackson uh, situation where I don't really understand what he's missing in his repertoire in his game. And and I think maybe some question marks were the explosiveness or creating with the ball. He he answered all those questions last year. There were some games where yeah. he took over late, where he was making plays. Yeah, and he was like making guys miss and scoring and finding ways to get in the end zone. And he was playing banged up for most of the season too. I'm with you though in terms of I know everyone's like, well, you have Howard and Cohen, and I'm I'm right there with you with Jordan Howard. He does not fit into Matt Matt Nagy's system really. A whole lot, unless he can learn how to catch the ball. And r- running backs obviously have value, but not that much value. <laughs> like, a running back's not going to put you over the top. Well, it depends who you are. Like, I, I, I think Saquon Barkley okay. is, like is in certain players, a yes. special, special running back who can do everything. Um, but you're right. I mean, Jordan Howard, he doesn't have breakaway speed, and he doesn't catch the ball. He he just you can't rely on him to catch the ball, and that's the problem. Can he catch it every once in a while? Sure. I mean, it's not like he drops everything, but he drops it enough. He only drops the ones that matter most, right? right. But he drops it enough that you can't rely on him to do it, which changes the play calling. And if you got a running back in the backfield in an offense like Matt Nagy's, and they know, okay, that guy's probably not getting the ball. It, he's he's very much your traditional running back, right? Like the yeah. old school, pound it up the middle with him, let him grind out some yardage, which is great. Which and is fine. He's good value, at that. There's he's value good in that. But with what Nagy's going to do with Trubisky and the RPOs and all that's those that's why Tree Cohen's going to fit perfectly into this offense. Yeah, I mean, he's like the ideal back in many ways for a Matt Nagy offense. But he's limited too. I mean, because he's he's not going to. Be the guy who, when you do get in situations where you just want to pound the ball up the middle, you're not handing it off to him. So you're going to mix and match a little bit. I'd like to see him on the field together more yes. at the same time. But that, that's that more on Howard me. than anybody. Yeah. Well, I, I shouldn't say this on Howard. Well, I guess I guess a lot of times we thought they would be on the field at the same time. We're for passing situations, and they obviously didn't have faith in either one of the guys. For Howard, it was he couldn't catch the ball. For Cohen. He, for some reason, wasn't up to speed with the playbook. I'll still never understand that when we were in like week 10 yeah. or 11 or 12, and he was like, yeah, coaches say I'm not ready and blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, this is just outrageous. Yeah. And the- but but I'm back to the Justin Jackson. Like, there, I could see a scenario where you draft him and you still have all three guys. Because that's, well, Matt, that's what I'm and, saying. In Matt Nagy's offense, that's fine. That's Jackson totally kind of fine. bridges the gap between yeah, the two. Exactly. I'd be totally okay with that. You have him, what, in fifth? Yeah, fifth. Which I, it's hard to get a read right now. To me, I, he seems almost like a three-four guy, three, third or fourth round. He pick. Should like, be. He should be. He has t- enough skill to go that high in the draft. I'd love to see him fall to f- the fifth round, and the Bears great get him there. Well, so up until 
this week, I mean, I was here in sixth, seventh round, and I'm going. I'm not. I don't understand this. And then do you he, think there's some sort of stigma with Northwestern? That like if 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 uh, Justin Jackson. I don't know, was that Ohio State or even Michigan or... Yeah, I mean, Anthony Walker fell to the fifth last year. That surprised Which some me. Some of us thought he would be, what, three or four, right? Third or fourth? Yeah, the two, look, two different positions, but that's kind of the feeling I'm getting right now. I, I, I Same thing with Anthony. Didn't understand why he wasn't going higher. Draft day came around. Didn't go on Friday. Early Saturday, still waiting, still waiting. Then he goes in the fifth. And he had a pretty solid year one, correct? Uh yeah, he was pretty good. I I'm I didn't follow every Colts game. They were terrible and but I think he started playing more as the season went along. So I'm all in on Justin Jackson with you. All right. Hogue. I like that. Well we'll we'll have to see how that works. It just would not surprise me if they pick another running back. Alright, so Kyle Fuller not getting tagged. Your yes. take on that. I think that it's not it's no surprise. I mean y- yeah. y- it, nobody was really all in on that anyways. And franchise tags are messy. Look what the past four franchise tags the Bears have placed on a player. Two of the four were gone the following season. It, franchise tags are not what. Remember when this kind of like franchise tags came about? Everyone's like, "Well, you're getting a franchise tag. You're gonna get paid near the top." And then all the players are like, "Wait a minute, this we don't like this. We want some long term stuff here." So I think when franchise tags come into play, things get messy. I'd rather just see them figure out some sort of long-term deal with Fuller. I really would like to see them bring him back. And I still think that that's a possibility. There's, uh, I, I reported this last week. The There is mutual interest. It's not like the Bears are not... In, the Bears are just not interested in overpaying for him, which I think is fine. I get it. $15 million is way overpaying for Kyle Fuller. The question is, where is that market? If it's somewhere between 10 and 12... Can you get it down to more like 10 a year? So what do you think Fuller's looking for? A four-year deal? I think a four-year deal kind of in that range I just mentioned. Yeah. So do the Bears get there with that? How do they value him when they did when Ryan Pace did not draft him? Right. But and, and they were frustrated with 2016. They were not happy with the fact he didn't play. Particularly Fangio. And he's, he's still in Chicago. Yeah. Um, to me, I think there's just something to be said about the continuity of having a guy around for multiple years in a row. Whether Pace drafted him or not, there's just something about that I think I find appealing for any team. Yeah. You know, particularly in football. The guys, I think the longer the guy's at one spot, like he's going to feel more comfortable. He's going to feel. That's a two way street, by the way. I mean, I think the Bears are kind of banking on the fact that Kyle will feel the same way about the Bears. Coming back yeah. and realizing that this is the best spot for him, where he's most comfortable and has had success with Vic. You should be the middleman. Look, look at this. Look at. I think it's proper negotiation skills. Go through me. Yeah. As long as I get, like you have the reasonable, logical thoughts. If and I get, and you're like the ten percent you know, of both sides. That's a lot of cheddar. You know, like a, a realtor that does the sale and the right, uh, right. financing yeah, and all that. Yeah. yeah. Just get everything. Yeah, I'm with you. I think you should sit down with with Kyle Fuller and Ryan Pace and and bang out a deal. Kevin Fishman, what do you think about that idea? Uh, involving you in any kind of negotiations? Yes. Mm, I don't know. I heard your curling skills are not up to snuff, so I don't know how what I can trust with you in anything. You know what they say about bad curlers? They're bad negotiators. <laughs> they do? <laughs> how the, how the old true. saying goes. 
Uh, we'll have more on what Kevin's talking about with curling later on in the show. Um, all right, so no tag for Kyle Fuller. Not exactly surprising. Kevin Fishbane, of course, covers the Bears for The Athletic. You should read his work. You should subs- subscribe. You know, uh, two athletic writers in two days here on Sports Central. That's huge. I think we should start getting some of that $20 million in financing you guys just got. Well, then how would we build the athletic and bring in more better writers and, oh my gosh, more better writers? I think we need more better editors if I'm talking like that. More better? Uh, yeah. To, yeah, to continue to build uh, our product. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. You keep, uh, keep bringing us on this, uh, this burgeoning new, uh, new podcast, radio show, streaming show of yours. The athletic's like the Amazon of sports journalism right now. They're just, just basically taking over the sports journalism world. <laughs> I have gotten uh, multiple text messages from people in the last 24 hours uh, with uh, very similar sentiments. Looking um, for jobs? But, <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that, that might be that might be the the undercurrent. Right, of why right. Hey, you guys are really doing some great things over there, Fishbane. You guys yeah. got any yeah. uh, extra desks opening? Um, well, let's just say I got I got much more uh, friendlier uh, messages about the athletic yeah. in the last yeah. 20 or 48 hours than maybe I got in uh, you know October, November, so. It is great stuff, though. Well, that was because that, that was bear season, and there wasn't, you know, everybody just complains about everything. So, what are your, what do you, what do you think is going to happen here with Kyle Fuller? You know, I, I feel like he's going to come back, and because one of the things that I was thinking about with this cornerback market is Tremaine Johnson's going to get, you know, a boatload of money from somebody, and that'll kind of set things. But here's my question I'll throw back to you. Is there a team in the NFL that you think would put a higher value on Kyle Fuller and the Bears? And I, I just I don't see what team is going to get really excited about Kyle Fuller and want to give him ten, eleven, twelve million dollars a year. Uh, I feel like the Bears know him best, and you know the Bears also, you know, have a huge, huge need there. And, and I feel like that they might kind of they know him the best. They they probably like him better than a lot of other teams, and I feel like that would make the most sense. Of course, it's free agency; anything can happen. And you know, the Cleveland Browns could throw you know fourteen million a year at him for all I know. Uh, but I, I kind of feel like that it would ma- it would make the most sense for the two of them for. Fuller and the Bears to agree on some kind of multi-year deal. I think that's a good point. I think for a lot, of, like if you're around the league and you see that name as a free agent, it's probably not as flashy as it is to to Bears reporters who have seen every play for Bears fans because we have kind of seen an up and down career for Fuller. But last year, obviously, he had a, a really strong showing. I guess what's the what's the number? What do you think it's going to end up at? And I asked Hogue earlier how many years and, and years what he was thinking. I'd like to hear your thoughts on how much you think they can settle on and how many years and guaranteed and all those sorts of things, which I know is tough to say because you said Tremaine Johnson is probably going to set the market. But where do you think Fuller lands? Well, Kev, I said, I said that I... I... I think that Fuller's probably looking for somewhere between ten and twelve million per year on a four-year contract. Whether or not he gets that, yeah. don't know. We got to see how the market lines up. Yeah, I think that's a good a good range, um, and, and I think it'd be smart for him to aim for something like four years because then he'll be what thirty in time for another contract. Uh, although if he comes back to the Bears, uh, it's been bad luck for anybody playing the entirety of their uh, of their multi year contract in the past few years. Uh, but yeah, that that puts him in like you know the top fifteen for uh, average salary. And is he a top fifteen corner? I think I would need to see it again. Um, before I say that, but that's kind of the, how free agency works. You generally are going to overpay, and you have a lot of really good corners that are on rookie contracts. So 
those numbers can be a little misleading. But I think that's a safe area. And listen, we all know the Bears have the cap space. And Kyle Fuller's people should use to advantage their advantage that they know the Bears don't have a starting outside corner, let alone a starting cornerback, really, under contract right now. Yeah. Well, a couple other interesting names today that are reportedly not getting the franchise tag. Allen Robinson and Sammy Watkins, two wide receivers who could, you know, I don't know, the Bears aren't signing both of them, but one of the two could make a lot of sense. Of course, that would assume that they would spend a little bit more money on one of these guys than they really have in the past couple of years with Ryan Pace. Uh, yeah, um, I, the Sammy Watkins one, I, I don't, I, I don't see that as a fit with what the the Bears' offense would be. I, I think Al Robinson would be fantastic uh, just, just to see what uh, you know. They don't have anybody as like an outside go up and get a receiver right now. Um, but I, you know, how much are you going to pay someone who is coming off a torn ACL and? Adam, I'm already feeling the tweets coming from Bears fans. The second the Bears decide to sign a guy who's coming off a bad injury, uh, I think we all know what uh, what people will say about that because, unfortunately, injuries have been a problem for the Bears. But if you look at the entire market, it's not just wide receiver. A lot of these guys, I was going through some of them today, so many of these players had some kind of injury in the last year or two. And like the Bears are bound to bring in a guy who's coming off some sort of injury, and people are just going to have to kind of come to terms with it. Um, if he's, you know, they have so many needs, like, and they have all the cap space in the world. They got to, they got to get some bodies. Let me throw a name out there for both of you guys: Marquise Lee, Jaguars receiver, fifty-six receptions, seven hundred two yards. Sort of fits in the Nagy Nagy system, at least for me. He does creates with the ball in his hands. Uh, your thoughts on that name? I like that name in terms of the the type of guys Ryan Pace has signed, um, and you know, the guy who's coming out of his rookie contract looks like he's kind of on the up and up, um, you know. But maybe he still hasn't hit his ceiling. And Lee had a good year last year. Came out of college with a crazy good skill set coming out of USC, and it just took him some t- time in Jacksonville. And he, he won't cost as much as, uh, as Al Robinson or uh, Sammy Watkins. Um, but so yeah, that that's I, I, I kind of a couple of weeks ago I kind of mentioned that if the Bears came out of Ramsey with Marquise Lee and Albert Wilson, I don't think that's really going to wow anybody at wide receiver in terms of what they're doing, but it's certainly a huge upgrade over what they had maybe even the last two, three years since they lost Brandon Marshall, or since they traded Brandon Marshall, I should say. So, yeah, Marcus Lee makes sense, but, again, you're getting guys who never had 1,000 yards receiving, so, you know, you got to be careful in terms of what you're paying him. I, I don't like the idea of Jarvis Landry at all. I, no. You know, because if you're going to have to trade for him, uh, especially – you're giving something up for a guy that you're still going to have to pay, right? And and he's a little bit of a malcontent, which doesn't fit the Bears' profile of guys that they've added in the last couple of years. Um, at least having that stigma around him, not necessarily. You know, why are the Dolphins trading him, or why are they looking to get rid of him? I mean, that's that's alarming to me. And and so I love the fact that he's highly productive from a catch standpoint, but he's not piling up the yards. No, and what it was, I think he only averaged eight point eight yards a catch last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the thing he, he has skills, and he put up he's put up bigger numbers than almost any receiver in Bears history outside Brandon Marshall um, in that Miami offense. You can play him inside, you can play him outside. I mean, there, there are things to like about him, but not at fifteen million dollars a year or whatever he's going to ask for. Being you know what who is considered the top receiver in the market, and he can use that franchise tag 
as a bit of a barometer for you know what he wants to get you know if he gets traded and, and however that would work out but it, it, it doesn't fit what the bears are, are are looking for ryan pace he hasn't actually brought in guys like that and you're right you whenever somebody like that the Dolphins don't necessarily have a ton of wealthy receivers. There's some younger guys who played well last year. You have to wonder why would they even do this, uh, and and then you kind of can kind of go from there. Um, any other names? A surprise name that you think? Well, I, actually, here's my question for both of you guys. We keep hearing about how much cap space they have. How aggressive do you think Ryan Pace and the Bears are going to be this offseason? And how much of that eighty million or whatever that number is? How much do you think they're going to spend? Well. If we're going to assume they're not going to get Tremaine Johnson or Andrew Norwell or Allen Robinson, they're they're not going to bring in that guy that's going to cost fourteen, fifteen million dollars. It's going to look a little bit more like what we've seen from Ryan Pace in free agency, which has been getting four or five guys for decent money that are starter caliber players. Um, it's not going to wow anyone. The thing about the cap is, of course, you got to consider. They have to save the money for the draft. But you also have a guy in Eddie Goldman who is going to be due for an extension. Um, they can extend him whenever at this point. Uh, if Adrian Amos plays well next year, he's due for an extension. Uh, so you have some guys in the future that you also want to maybe save a little uh, cap space for if you want to do those extensions uh, this year. I, I think Goldman is certainly a priority there. I don't, I don't know if you want to let him hit free agency, assuming he can continue to stay healthy when he comes into the offseason program. So, uh, a quick clarification here, because um, the what I was reporting was that the franchise tag is out of play. Uh, Ian Rappaport now is tweeting that the transition tag. I wanted to using. start this segment with you guys and get a clarification on what two, they are. Yes, because I've reached like sort of an idea, but I right before the show, I'm like, okay, maybe transitions in a play. And I meant to ask both of you, since we have two Bears insiders here who cover the NFL for a living, could give us a clear. A succinct answer for what the differences of the two and what each one is. Well, first of all, the franchise is pretty clear, but the transition is a little bit more complicated. Right, and that's where we kind of get caught in this when we're having this conversation. You almost forget about the transition tag because you get, you know, the, the franchise tag being out of there, there still is this thing called the transition tag that you're right, doesn't get used a whole lot, and it basically is a lower number. Uh, because I believe it's top the average of top ten salaries instead of the top five. So that number comes down, and what it does is it, it allows teams to extend a, an offer to a player, and then the Bears have the right to match that or either let them go. Now they don't get any compensation if they let them go, but it does give you a little bit more control and and guard a little take some of the risk away from potentially losing him if he goes to the open market. So that could still be in play here for Kyle Fuller and given the situation I I understand it because it's a little bit lower number. Uh, I think the estimate right now is somewhere between 12 and 13 million for the transition tag which is more around this 10-12 area that I've been talking about. Uh and the Bears can probably still work towards a long-term deal here. Yeah, you're paying him essentially two million dollars cheap less if you if he's going to play on that tender for you. So I think the Bears would gladly take that, and it gives them some more flexibility, as you said, to to kind of work their way towards some kind of long term deal. But yeah, we don't we don't see it used very often. But I think it makes way more sense than the franchise tag. And as we talked about, I think the Bears are also they're just kind of handcuffed without having any answers at cornerback right now. Why you is know, it? it, it if they had guys who were who they were counting on, who who they're bringing back, who they were comfortable with, I think it'd be easier to let Kyle Fuller hit the open market. 
Uh, but but why are you going to let a guy like that at that kind, at a premium position like that leave? So the transition tag it, it makes sense, and we're all going to scramble and make sure we properly explain what it means in the next few hours. Well, why isn't it used more? The transition tag. Well, I think teams probably don't want to have to even you know give other teams the option to match, and and then they're kind of playing this race for a lot of teams. If it, you know, as I mentioned, the difference here is two million dollars. So some teams with the cap space might just say, well, why don't we just put the franchise tag on him, and then we guarantee that he's here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's probably just an easier thing for teams to use when they have that kind of cap space. Uh, or maybe general managers just are as unfamiliar with the transition tag as I am and don't feel like having to learn about it. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like homework. All right, Kev. Well, we'll let you go learn about it and write about it at The Athletic. I'm sure you will be today. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. All That's right, good. Kevin Fishbane at The Athletic. You should subscribe and read it and listen to his uh, his Northwestern uh, thoughts, too. Times when he's... The Northwestern guy? Uh, really upset. Go Cats? He is like purple blood Northwestern. Oh, really? He's like Mr. Cat mm-hmm. part, part two? Yeah, very emotional. Really? That Kevin Fishbane. Where's his, his, his purple Northwestern <laughs> yeah. on his on his sleeve? Yeah. yeah, I worked with him over at Pro Football Weekly. I think the first day he, wa- he, uh, he worked there, he walked in in the, uh, the cat suit. Really? Yeah. He's Willie the Wildcat? Willie. Yep. That's him. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's hilarious. He should be Willie the Wildcat. I didn't know that. All right. We'll take a quick break um, and, and come back with some buried headlines. Plenty to get to on a busy football news day here on Sports Central. Headlines here on Sports Central. Our producer Joe Romano. Joe, do you remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about uh, the Canadian hockey player, the women's hockey player who ripped the silver medal off, or she just took it off right away after yeah. they gave it to her? Was her name Jocelyn? Yeah, one of the Jocelyns. What was your take? Were you against that or for that? No, I was. Uh, I what I said was, I don't think it's a great look. Yeah, but I understand it. I one time lost a wrestling match, a championship, uh, in regionals, whatever it was, and I got the second place ribbon or medal, whatever it was, and I just took it and threw it in my duffel bag. Yeah, and my dad was so unhappy with me. Yeah, I'm like, I don't care if I I, I didn't win. He's like, well, yeah. I don't care. I'm proud. Like. So well, I see both sides. Like in the heat of the moment, I get with the players. Like screw this, I don't care if I got a silver medal. I wanted to win, but I bet you, looking back on it, she was probably like, "Damn, I kind of looked like an idiot." Well, so I'm glad I had the take I did because the reason I'm bringing this up now is, and Kevin Fishbane just mentioned curling real quick because yeah. I was texting with him last night. Lost a championship last night. Devastating to alumni from the Northwestern Curling Club, which is a thing. <laughs> And by the way, they're really, really good. You know what you've turned into with the curling stuff? Yeah. Carmen recapping his tennis tournaments oh, I know. On, the, on the beat I know. over the weekends. But I wanted to follow <laughs> up on this and just, I, I'm glad I had that take because you get pins when you win or if you're runner-up. So they handed us all like pins for being even in the championship. What do you mean pins? Like a pin. Like, oh, like a little... Yeah, uh, it says like the event. Like that you put on the collar or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Not that you... I mean, I guess you could wear them, but it's just like a little... I thought she'd be wearing it today. If no. Well, because they handed it to me and it said runner-up. And right there in that moment, I just wanted to be like... Screw it. I just wanted to throw it away. Yeah. You know who's really into, or interested in curling and wants to get into it is Anna Devlantes. I had a long conversation with her last night. She so, should come I, out. And I keep telling him, I go, um, 
go hang out with Hulk up in Northbrook. Yeah. Or she also lives in the West Loop where the bar has Kaiser Tiger. Yeah, like that's that. not real curling. It's, not, it's like half ass curling. It's like, yeah, it's okay. They don't even let you get on the ice. The Northbrook one is like legit, the real deal. Yeah. Yeah. So I told, anyways, you got to connect with Anna DeBlantis on that. Uh, yep, 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 yep. You can hear me make noises like that. Oh, God. Uh, uh, I hinted at this a couple weeks ago, and it was officially announced today by our guy, Al Riveron. Ed Hockley and Jeff Triplett are retiring. Uh, they had a good run. NFL referees. I actually liked Hockley. So did I. I never had a problem with Hockley. Even when he did the whole thing for like a year stretch, and I don't know if he did if he did it till the end, but remember he had like this this stretch, and I think he even did it in the Super Bowl where he's giving these long ass yeah. explanations of, explanations of plays and stuff, and everyone was screaming at their TVs, and I was always like, I'm kind of okay with it. He's clarifying everything, and everyone felt like he was making it about him, and I think he was just clarifying plays. Yeah, I was I was pro hockey. Yeah, he's just trying to give you more of an explanation. No one no one knows what the hell's going on right. with most of these calls. Um, Jeff Triplett though is terrible. Let's just be honest. Sounds like Odie. a NASCAR driver with that name. It's amazing that that guy. He, I I had a feeling when he got an NFL playoff game this year that it was like just a send off, like. That, that's kind of when I heard he was retiring. Yeah, here, like, how could, I texted someone I'm like, how could this guy get a playoff game? He's, he's horrendous. And it's like, well, it's one last go around for him. So, Buried headline for you, Adam Hogue. That, that's what we're doing. You may have heard that Serena Williams is a badass. Mm-hmm. I think we can all agree there. I don't know how I missed this. I think you, we've all heard the story that she won the 2017 Australian Open while two months pregnant. Yes. This is uh, from a post uh, on Deadspin here. Williams gave birth to her daughter, Alexis Olympia, in early August and almost died from complications. What? I miss this. She had blood clots in her lungs ever since she's been working her way back into form, playing warm-up matches along the way. Uh, She played an exhibition match in December. This is from Williams. Quote, there have been so many days, even still, when I'm like, how am I going to keep going? It's been really, really difficult, but I keep going, and I know that it might not be at my best yet, but I'm getting there, and every day is a new day, and every day I should be getting better. Like, she had multiple operations just to... That's crazy. Crazy stuff. And then, like, her... um, yeah, it was not good. She was in the hospital for a while after giving birth. But uh, anyway, she's set to play in her first match since all of that tomorrow at the Indian Wells. So good to see Serena Williams uh, back on the court. Well, that's good news, at yeah. least. Wow. I, did, I didn't know I, that. I knew the whole uh, pregnant part, but I didn't know what she went through in terms of the pregnancy and the complications that were involved and the fact that she could have died. So, uh, yeah, good to see that. Uh, put this on your calendar. Saturday, August 11th. I had that in my headlines. I knew you'd be excited about it. That'll be Jim Tomey Day at the ballpark. The Chicago White Sox will honor baseball great Jim Tomey and his induction into the National Baseball Hall of Fame on Tomey Day at Guaranteed Right Field, Saturday, August 11th, as the team faces the Cleveland Indians at 6.10 p.m. Fans will celebrate the five-time All-Star during a special pregame ceremony, and the first 20,000 fans to enter the ballpark will take home a Jim Tomey Hall of Fame bobblehead presented by Wintrust. So when you and Carm are fighting over the postgame schedule and who gets to do what game, 
game. You're obviously going to be circling this one on your calendar, right? Uh, like Carmen, I got August 11th. Or unless yeah. you want to be there as just a straight fan. Well, I could still go. I could still go. Yeah. But I'm sure you'll have plenty of thoughts to... Uh, we'll get... Uh, we haven't gotten to the August schedule yet. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're working on April. A ways away. Yeah. Uh, Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross says he won't force his players to stand for the national anthem, even though he believes kneeling is a counterproductive way to promote social justice. Uh, so there, there was a report from the New York Post that Ross had said that he was... He's going to tell his players they have to stand for the anthem. Then the next day, like less than 24 hours, he kind of backtracked on. Well, that. there's some thinking that they're actually with free agency going to come coming up here that they might try to actually work this into some contracts, which is basically you're telling your player that they're not allowed to protest. Yeah, the Houston Texans issuing a statement uh, last night denying a report that they are uh, that they aren't interested in signing players who have kneeled during the national anthem. So I, I I don't know we I don't know how much time we have here but I don't know how like to me in some ways if your boss tells you not to do something you shouldn't do it and I know that's a very simplified dumbed down way of looking at the whole thing but if your boss told you don't kneel you shouldn't kneel right but I think the issue is, the issue is there- what your boss is allowed to tell you what you can and cannot do um okay. I mean, what I always equate it to is if, let's say, you're a, a you work at a, um, let's say, a big box store, a, a, a brick and mortar store, and your your attire that you have to wear to work every day is a blue shirt and khaki pants. And one day you show up to work and you have the blue shirt on, the khaki pants, and some big red ribbon on your shirt, and it's standing for some cause that you're trying to bring awareness to. And then customers start complaining about it, yeah. and the customers go to your bosses and the bosses tell you not to do it and you do it again and then the bosses tell you do it one more time you get fired and you do it one more time you wear that ribbon and the boss says you know what that's not a part of our code we're gonna have to let you go yeah uh this is a a much more complicated issue it is and like i said i'm not trying to dumb it because you know i I understand where you're coming from on that and the players are the product which makes it a whole lot different they are the product to me the biggest issue here isn't necessarily that I think the anger over the action of kneeling during the anthem has been over something that's not really about the anthem. That people are making it about the anthem when they're really just more upset that... Well, let me clarify that. I'm completely fine with players kneeling. I think it's great. I think if you want to kneel, go ahead and kneel. I'm just saying when the, if the bosses and the owners of the league all kind of get together and come up with a conclusion that, you know, let's make this a league-wide mandate, which I don't know if they even could, considering um, CBA stuff, but um, I, I see that angle as well. If owners really do think it's impacting their product in a negative way, I get that. But I, I'm i okay with it. I think it's, it's great if they want to do it. Well... This has been. I mean, it's not going anywhere. No, and I don't. I don't think that the the owners aren't over it. They're still upset. And the players aren't going to be over it. Um, and then we've seen some trickle down. I mean, the Papa John's guy said what he said or whatever. I'm, I'm like forgetting now even what that was all about. But the, <laughs> Papa John's is out. That's that's Pizza the, Hut's in now. That's the news cycle these days. It's like every I know couple well, hours. It's a whole new it. breaking story from stuff coming from. From everywhere. All right. Well, here's something I do have strong opinions about. Okay. And I will, I will protest this. All right. And I have on the show already a bunch. <laughs> the catch rule is dumb and needs to be fixed. They're trying to fix it right now. Mm-hmm. The 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 
competition committee met in Indianapolis last week. This was in Peter King's Monday morning quarterback yesterday. Going to the ground is going away. That's what I was told, I being Peter King right now, as I read what Peter King wrote, about the competition committee's early study and deliberations over the NFL's catch-no-catch rule. The committee had long meetings here in Indianapolis, and more study is due before the committee briefs Roger Goodell on its recommendations March 25th in Orlando. But the best chance, as of now, of a revised rule seems to be this. Catch, two steps, and doing something with the football that needs to be further defined. After those three elements, if the player falls to the ground and the ball is jarred loose, it's a catch. Give me that one more time, that last part. Well, what matters? We're going to be saying that a lot this year. <laughs> right? This is what I'm getting at here. This is not fixing anything. No, it's not. Catch, two steps. And doing something with the football. <laughs> well, but see, that, that is... It's going to be defined, whatever that is. No, but that actually opens it up for more common sense. Because clearly trying to draw a hard line with it hasn't worked. And, and Roger Goodell, I think we talked about this last week, actually made something to, said something that made sense to me, was that he thinks we act, they actually do have to backtrack on the actual... the writing and the legislation, whatever you want to call it, and trying to define this hard line, because it's, it's damn near impossible to do. There does need to be some, some well, the common going, sense. I propose you and I work for the NFL every Sunday, because when I'm sitting on my couch, I'm never wrong, Adam, just like most of the fans out there. They're never wrong when they see these, these situations come up, and we can clearly identify what is and what is not a catch. But then to the league, it might be different, and I might be wrong, and nobody really knows what's right or wrong. I'm not saying this is easy, but I do think you take a lot of the gray area out if you just say, forget that third part. Doing something with the football. Just catch two feet. If the moment your second foot hits, do you have the ball in your hands? Control and two feet. Right. And then it's a catch. If you're still bobbling it when that second foot comes down, then it's not a catch. But if you have the ball in your hands... Catch two feet and you can get lit up, then hit the ground, ball can pop out and still catch. Yeah, I mean, unless unless, unless that's a fumble because you got blown up and right. dropped the ball, then it's a fumble. Right, but is it a catch? Yes. Before, then that's what I'm saying. That's fine. If you, I'm cool with that. If you're in play, ball's in your hands, two feet. You have a catch. Anything that happens after that, if you get hit, the ball comes out, that's a fumble. All right, I'm in If you that. go out of bounds and you lose it, then it's still a catch because like you're that. out of bounds. I'm I don't understand why it has to be so hard. What is this? Doing something with the football. <laughs> I love seeing Hogan fired up. I think nothing so gets you dumb. more fired up other than curling than what's a catch, what's not a catch in the NFL. There's a different rule change in college football, by the way, that still needs to pass the oversight committee. The players on returners on kickoffs next year can fair catch anywhere and get the ball to 25. So you can yeah. you don't have to be in the end zone. You can you're at the 10. You can. Put a fair catch signal on a kickoff, and you get the ball to 25. I like that rule a lot. Um, there's actually, I, I, I kind of, I saw Ohio State use this to their advantage, and they actually got burned on it a few times against uh, Penn State. They let up a touchdown. They try to kick it, coffin corner it into the, like, try to kick the ball right to the pylon. And then you just get 11 guys, 10 guys, minus the kicker, and they just storm storm the guy in the corner. And it's it could be a dangerous situation over there. I think this is a this is a, a, a good, safe way of 
you know, play in the kickoff. Yeah, I think what we'll see with football moving forward, the, the, the biggest sweeping changes we'll see initially will be special team stuff, kickoffs, punts, things like that. We've already seen it implemented. Yeah. I mean, yeah, what you just said, Joe, is it's kind of takes out that pooch kick. Because what happened was they... They wanted to get less kickoffs in the game because it's the most dangerous play in football. Well, and then teams realized that they could just, with the moving up to the 25, you could just kind of pop it up right. in the air and then try to pin them. All right, we're out of here. Switch over. 720 WGN. Listen to White Sox live. Otherwise, tomorrow, Kevin Powell will be here in studio. It'll be a fun show. Make sure you listen and check out the podcast, iTunes, Google Play Store. And please, if you listen that way, Please rate and review the podcast. We appreciate you doing that. Talk to you tomorrow.